Welcome back to the Bomb Revisited podcast. You are listening to part two of episode three where we revisit and rank Goldfinger. After Bond has been captured by Goldfinger himself, we have finally reached the iconic laser scene. Join us as we take a look and eventually add Goldfinger to our rankings. So now after Bond has been captured, we cut to him on the table. Uh, well, I don't think we see as a table initially. I think we just see his face, which is something this film does really well, kind of starting on people's faces and then building up the scene as we go. So we start on his face in the dark. Lights very quickly comes on. And then we see Goldfinger show up. And it turns out that Bond is tied to the table. And there's this giant laser pointer pointed at him. And Goldfinger is like, ah, this can project a light on the moon. Uh, they turn on the laser and it slowly creeps towards Bond and I, I feel silly explaining this scene, like right, <laughs> yeah. like I'm trying to explain it, but everyone knows this scene, right? Yeah. Um. So the laser is slowly coming towards Bond. Goldfinger is talking, and then eventually he just leaves. Which we get the famous line: "Do you expect me to talk? No, Mister Bond. I expect you to die." Love Great that. delivery. Love that line. Even that's though I think good. he is dubbed again, another character that's been dubbed. But uh, I didn't think he was dubbed because his accent is very strange. Where I think he's supposed to be English in the film, but I believe the actor that played him is like German or something. I, mm. I don't quite. I didn't quite understand that part of it. But I thought somebody earlier in the film said he is meant to be British, but his accent again had this like more sometimes like german almost kind of sound to it i couldn't quite figure it out it joe what it might not be that he was yeah in fact you might be right in that it wasn't maybe he was dubbing himself you know some adr and maybe it was just you know to improve the audio because there definitely are times where it doesn't quite sync up but you're right in that it could actually just be the original actor still just re-recording yeah i'm not too i'm trying to look this up uh just to see if he is actually meant to be uh german or not yeah, he's British, but he doesn't sound like it, is apparently something that Felix says. And then this Wikipedia article guesses that he's probably German by birth. Okay. Well, there you go then. So yeah, he's meant to be British, but again, a little bit of a German side. And I think it's, I love the delivery of that line. Um, well, it's here where you're actually seeing, we said before about how you get these parts of where Goldfinger looks like a bit of a buffoon and, and you know, snapping his pencil, pulling funny faces when he loses and stuff like that. And then... You, you kind of balance those out with scenes like this where he actually seems like he knows what he's doing and he's he's got Bond caught. He he seems competent and he, he seems actually threatening, um, which is important. Can't have too much of one or the other, I suppose. But um, yeah, I mean, it's an iconic scene. It's, what really can you say about it? I mean, it's been parodied so many times and so many different things. And it's, I think you said earlier, it's what makes the scene so good is that Bond doesn't have any gadgets. He's he's the the way that they get attention, ironically, is just without the gadgets. It's just him on his own strapped to the table. The only thing he has to use is his wits and and thinking of what he knows as a as a bargaining chip. So yeah, great scene, great music, great editing. All great. So I I would say this is my favourite scene in the film. I think there's been a good amount of build up to it and with Bond being captured, that's always kind of a fun dynamic when they kind of flip the tables like that. And the fact that Bond has been 
interacted with Goldfinger for so much of this and the the back and forth. And we finally see it flipped where Bond has always had the upper hand against Goldfinger, but now Goldfinger has him in... It's so the other way, where Goldfinger just has him completely in the palm of his hand. And what I love about this scene is that Goldfinger... Now, it's a little bit of a cliche about how the villains don't wait to see Bond die and that's how he escapes, but that's not what happens here. He walks away and I think it's such a great, it's like such a baller move to be like, mm-hmm. I don't care about you so much. Like, you're such a small part of this for me that I've set up this elaborate trap, which also they do have a reason for having the laser, which we, we see it later in the film, which I thought was very nice that they do kind of explain why it exists. It's not just a random laser. Um but to see Goldfinger just like slightly talk to him a bit about gold and be like, yeah, you're annoying. I don't know. And then he's like, I'm going to go. And that line <laughs> just is so good where it's just like, no, I expect you to die. Like, I don't care. I moved on. And then you see Goldfinger talking to like a scientist or something like that. Like he gets on with his day yeah. while Bond is slowly being killed. So Bond doesn't just have to try and talk to Goldfinger in terms of them sitting, you know, he's not there sitting with him having a chat. It's, it's Bond desperately shouting for his life at a man who no longer cares and see the issues resolved. And that's what I think brings so much of the tension out of this, that we've get this role reversal and then Goldfinger is disconnecting from the situation and Bond has to desperately try and bring him back, which of course he eventually does and the laser shuts off at the last second. But even though we know what's going to happen, it just works so well. It, it definitely my favourite scene in this whole film. Yeah, I'm trying to think of what other things might be better. I mean, yeah, you've got the old lady with the gun, but <laughs> um, I can't think of any other scene that, that would probably beat this one for me. Um, although I will say, did the laser need to have these blue lights around it? <laughs> I, just, I just picture Goldfinger there with the designer. Like, right, so we've got this laser. And it's like, it's good, but it needs some flashing blue lights on it. <laughs> it's just like... Yeah obviously i think it does yeah i don't yeah it really just brings it all together you know (laughs) that's the bit that just looked very it's like oh it's kind of a bit sci-fi almost but um it's going through some things right now it's a midlife crisis just trying some different things yeah 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 but no great scene and uh mentions about operation grand slam to to finally get out of it and and i I like that it's not just yeah the the way he does this is not just but not just that what he knows, but that what would happen if he disappears. So he uses his existence as as the chip um to stay alive. And so that's when you could argue that Goldfinger and Bond become very chummy because they never leave each other's side pretty much for the rest of the film. It's really yeah. just them together. And I think this is actually where to me the film, I mean, I'm not a big fan of the film really in general, if you couldn't have told, been able to tell already. But I think after this point is really when you start to just get Bond being dragged along um, and, and, and kind of watching from the sidelines uh, in, in Goldfinger's custody. Those. So, hmm. yeah. But he is, he is saved from the laser. So I do want to say something that brings this scene down is we get lots of shots of Sean Connery's face and he's not very sweaty. He's and, not very know, sweaty. I've come to expect a certain level of sweatiness when it comes to Sean Connery's face and it's just not there. He seems quite calm. He's sweatier on other basic scenes where like when there was a hairy spider, he was, <laughs> yeah, hairy spider. It was like way more threatening apparently. 
I guess you know once you've been through those, each each one afterwards, it just loses a little bit, loses a little bit until by the you know, not a drop would be later on. It's fine. Take on anything. I didn't buy this whole Bond box set for Sean Connery not to be sweaty, Joe. Like <laughs> I want some sort of <laughs> refund. <laughs> well, good luck with that. I just imagine you now taking that back to a shop. Like, literally, just some cashier. Not enough Connery sweat. (laughs) I looked in the bonus features and it wasn't there. And I thought, that's not right. It should be there. (laughs) Joe, what? We'll email. um, I need to make up for what I said about Michael G. Wilson earlier, not getting the the Bond car. We'll mention it in the email. Yeah, I think so. There must be some deleted scenes or something. I don't know. It's in there. It's in the archive somewhere. Yeah. So once again, they knock Bond out. How do they do it? Do they inject him or gas him? They they have like a gun, like a sleeper dart sort of oh, gun. Oh, yes, that's right. Yeah. Uh, so they knock him out and we go straight from one iconic scene to another iconic scene where once again, we cut to Bond's just his face. It's all quite claustrophobic. Um, so we don't know what's happening. So it's just Sean Connery kind of waking up on his face. Not very sweaty, sad times. Um, and then it's then it's all a bit blurry as we go to first person view for Bond seeing this woman, and then Bond asks, "Who are you?" And she says, "My name is Pussy Galore." Of which James Bond re- responds, "I must be dreaming," mm-hmm. which is another very kind of iconic moment, which was nice to see. I yeah, yeah, it, it's it's one of those. Yeah, you're right. It's one of those things that's often kind of clipped from the film, and I think just yeah. The name Pussy Galore, obviously now. I think even then it was it was silly, obviously. Um, but it's just it's just such such a, a silly parodied cliche thing now. It's it's just you just can't take it seriously at all. I don't think you're ever really meant to, but even just watching it now, it's like, oh my god, pussy galore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I was doing this on my phone. And my phone never really accepted the name Pussy Galore. <laughs> so it changed it like every time just based on what I was typing. But I didn't want to pause the film to be like, no, I meant Pussy Galore phone. <laughs> so the first one, it was like Ussy uh, Galore is what it went with. Right. And then most of the time it defaulted to Pissy Galore, <laughs> which I would say is worse. But That's way worse. So about six times on my notes, it says Pissy instead. <laughs> <laughs> sorry that's yeah that's um, especially with goldfinger as well that just leaves other other connotations that i don't want to think about no we're anyway. not here for that we're no, not we're that not sort of that podcast filth. that's smut anyway uh yeah bond bond wakes up on uh on a jet on a jet piloted by pussy galore um who's obviously played famously by on a blackman i think she I, I had to look up whether she was still alive i think it was a couple of years ago she died i think it was very early on in covid um oh, okay. that sort of passed me by but no, i remember sad. hearing the news uh, to be fair do you oh, okay yeah. yeah i completely missed that um and pussy galore we obviously we see a, a lot more of a later on in the film as well but you do immediately get that impression of the type of character that she is she is not not in the same vein as some of the previous bond girls not that there's been that many really to compare to yet but there is a very clear effort to make her seem very independent. She's not going to fall for Bond's charm. She's not there for that element of it, the pleasure element. She's, she's, she works with Goldfinger. She's doing what he says. And 
what I thought was quite interesting, I don't know actually how much of this was meant, really. But as I was reading about the film after watching it, just to sort of get some get some notes on it and things like that, I haven't read the Goldfinger book yet. Um, I, do, I do plan to at some point. But uh, in the book, um, Pussy Galore is actually a gay character. Oh. And I, I wondered whether that that was an element of this on on the film was about just not falling just doesn't find bond attractive um and as i was watching it i was like oh okay yeah that's quite interesting obviously later on in the film it kind of falls to the wayside that idea but um yeah i, I just thought oh okay well maybe maybe there was an element of trying to show that on screen because you know she does have uh like an all women what they called flying circus, like yeah. Uh, maybe there's something there. I don't know. Either way, she's definitely yeah, she's not one that's um, falling into Bond's arms. Yeah, I liked I liked Pussy Galore's character right up into one scene, which is very seeming how you recently saw it. You probably know exactly the scene I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. But everything up to that point is good because she she has almost that money penny sort of vibe but a little bit less flirty where you feel like they're on even kind of levels where pussy galore is like well i'm here to make money and i'm very good at what i do and that's kind of that so i'm gonna you know i've got i've got to keep bond hostage so i'm going to do that but again it's not like over the top cold wall of war it's just like bond has these flirty attempts and she's just very good at shooting them down it's kind of nice to see especially throughout this whole film where bond has just been like going up to women like there's the woman in the opening scene, and then Jill. And there's also the woman who was massaging him by the pool, I guess you could say. And it's, yeah. it's all just a, been a little bit much. So I feel like this was kind of him acting like that was almost building up to him meeting Pussy Galore in terms of meeting his match. And again, another bringing him down to earth moment where Bond is being a bit too cocky. So he meets someone that kind of brings him down. But unfortunately that completely goes out the window which really hurts the film uh, in my opinion and that's actually not what's happening uh which is kind of sad but again initially i i do really like this character it's just where it goes where it is it's just kind of a shame yeah i've just you you listing out all those those examples of of where it's worked for bond previously and then now it's just completely you know she's immune to that just made me think about the bit in the Again, it's right at the beginning, um, where he he how he gets into Goldfinger's room, and there's that maid, and you know he just sort of grabs her and grabs the key, pulls her towards the door, and then it's like you're very sweet as he closes it. It's just another sign of those very um, flippant attitudes, and then I suppose yeah, you could see a, a, a strength in that, in that it it does make this character dynamic between him and Pussy Galore feel a bit more powerful. Um, as you say, completely wasted later on. Um, but this whole this whole bit in the plane, again, it's it's very um, it, it's played for laughs. Well, I say laughs. It's it's not really that funny, but it's definitely quite light hearted because he's on the plane. He Pussy Galore goes back to pilot in the plane, and so he's left uh, to go and get dressed with his suitcase and everything, and goes into the bathroom. And um, I think the bartender lady was there. I just you know, keep an eye on him. So there's, there's like three different or maybe just two different spy holes in the bathroom. And every time she looks through one, Bond covers it and then looks through another one. And he covers that with with shaving cream or like the lid of the suitcase. 
I mean, it's 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 innocent enough. It's fine, and I suppose we do get the um, the whole idea of again. It's that little tracker. That little tracker keeps coming back, um, which he plants in his shoe, so he can be detected. Yeah, I think there's a couple of things to note about this scene. First of all, I think this is the first time that James Bond and says "Martini shaken, not stirred." Yeah, because the he didn't say it in Doctor No. The 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 waiter or the guy at the hotel said it. Then in from Russia with love, I don't, I can't remember him saying it. I can't. Remember, I know he had a martini, but I don't think he said it. Don't think so. No. So this is the first time where someone says Bond, what will you have to drink? And he says martini, shaken, not stirred. I mean, he doesn't say what type of martini, so I don't know what he's on about really. There's quite a few martinis, but he just says martini for some reason. Still has a lot to learn. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he knows about brandy, but not the drink he drinks all the time yeah Um, but also bond has a slight stubble in this scene and i actually quite like that look i i don't want him to have a slight stubble the whole time but it was quite interesting to see bond being captured and having a slight stubble which is why it's kind of a shame where they go the other way where during this scene where you know that she's trying to see what he's up to he shaves he's got a, another gray really nice expensive suit and then he's just kind of back as being james bond so any opportunity they had to set this up as being a little bit different uh kind of goes out the window um which is kind of a shame but I, it was it was still nice to see sean connery as james bond with that bit of a stubble it was a, quite distinct the fact that he hadn't shaved i suppose we don't really see anything like that again and i'm thinking just off off the top of my head you get you get kind of the extreme of that with uh die another day die another day where he's full bearded and and homeless man looking so yeah that's true i mean it does kind of have that uh without really putting too much focus on it i mean it's just a bit stubble but it it adds to that element of bond is is out of his element maybe not out of his element but he is he is caught you know he's not he's not in control um, he's not in control of the situation exactly so yeah, I'd never actually really thought about that, but um, it does look good. It looks good with a bit of stubble. Hmm. So then Pussy Galore threatens him with a revolver, a Western. I can't remember the full name. Oh, I can't remember, yeah. Yeah, Smith and Western, something like that. And hmm. then Bond, being now that he's shaven and in a grey suit, and he's like, oh, oh, Pussy Galore, what are you doing? You wouldn't fire that gun in here. The, the pressure would kill us and it would suck us all out. And she's like, oh, good point, James. And then they all just kind of leave. And it's a little bit awkward, but mm-hmm. it's to set up something that happens later uh, in the film. Yes, kind of a bit ham-fisted in there, but I suppose I suppose they had to get it in there. <laughs> Sorry, just made me think of that the scene at the end now. But yeah, I love that scene, but that's for mm. that's later on. So then we cut to M and we have this part of the film I just don't think is very good. <laughs> Um, I'm just going to be straight off the bat. We get so many scenes of basically the Americans and M tracking Bond and it just goes on for ages and it's just... There is a point to it. I'm not going to say it's pointless, but it does feel a little bit pointless sometimes. Like, it's such a... It just goes on for ages. Uh, So this is a very initially... You know, it's meant to be a comedy scene, to be honest, where Felix is saying oh bond's in this place in baltimore or something like that and m's like well he's evidently on top of things he'll he'll keep on top of it and that's that um and then we kind of cut away um, but this is mostly to set up a storyline or felix is actually following bond and is behind the scenes tracking bond 
because Bond has that tracker in his shoe, um, which again, it, it, it just doesn't seem to go anywhere, but it does spend a lot of time on it. So I don't want to go too negative without us actually getting to that scene. But straight away, I don't really like this plot line, kind of at all. I don't really like the whole film from this point out particularly. I especially don't like the whole bit of this stud farm, this, yeah, the Kentucky stud farm. But for for different reasons, lots of different reasons, which we'll get into. But one of them is, as you say, he's he's being watched and tracked by the two CIA agents, one of them being Felix. And they just, they just, just, they look like clowns. Like, it's just so stupid. It's, you're right. Sometimes it's played, it's played for gags. It's sort of like, oh, what's Bond up to? Probably with a woman and a drink or something. And oh, he's actually, he's in his jail cell. Oh, that's great. Um, but no, it's just annoying. I think it's it's really, for me, the film really starts to show its weaknesses from this point onwards. Yeah, so uh, before we get into that a little bit more, so we do get some shots of Pussy Galore's Flying Circus, uh, which is a bunch of young women, all blonde, all pilots, flying these planes. And it's quite funny because we get another version of the Goldfinger theme because they do multiple different versions of the theme, which is nice. But this time we get more of a horn version. But every time like one of the young blonde uh, pilots are on screen, you get like a sexy horn kick in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know, like the bad, not, well, not I, I can't really do it, I suppose. But you get the normal track and then a, a woman gets out of a plane and it just quickly brings in this other horn really quick just to kind of be like oh hey fellas you know what i'm saying <laughs> um, yeah yeah and, and it turns out pussy galore has a, a this group uh who's working for goldfinger which okay <laughs> i don't and have so, much to say <laughs> i mean here's my question they're all blonde so blonde gold is did he did he specifically it is does it go down to that level i mean he clearly likes gold so would he only hire blonde women Ah, was Jill blonde? Jill was blonde, yeah. Okay. Is Odd Job blonde? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, under that hat, beautiful locks of hair. Ah, oh, lovely. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's just, I think, is it one of those things? Is it meant, that whole scene, obviously, with, yeah, the sound effects, it's meant to be funny and, and sexy and a bit of a bit of a joke. I think those those sound effects do stand out a little bit too much, though. Yeah, I think it's supposed to be something like that, but it's just kind of like, oh, it's just a bit weird, and then it's trying to play it for laughs and sex appeal, and you're just like, this next scene, please. We've said that a few times during this next. podcast, but there are just a lot of times where you're like, yep, next scene, please. Let's let's just kind of get to something good. Yeah, fat chance of that. Oh, I'm sorry. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> so anyway yeah yeah we then fade to the a farm it is a farm isn't it yeah it's a stud farm we get a lot of banjo music and see some like horse riding going on which is just like what is what is this um i was kind of saying before about how they don't really show off about the the locations they go in and maybe this is them attempting to show off what a baltimore farm is like but i don't think that's what they're going for um Mm. Yeah, I mean, they did previously, they did mention something earlier on about him having a stud farm. So it, at least it isn't completely random. 
And I think one of the things with this film is, um, of, yeah, heavy emphasis on the American locations. You know, spend a lot of time here, obviously at Fort Knox as well, Miami briefly. And I think I was reading that that was there was a conscious effort for that because of how well the films were doing in America. So they were sort of catering it a little bit more to American audiences compared to the previous ones, which were, well, Europe and Caribbean. But um, the whole the whole thing at the stud farm is it's just it's just a backdrop, isn't it? Because there's really nothing, nothing. Well, apart from the barn scene, <laughs> because there's nothing really linked to it being there. Yeah, th- this is all purely about setting up the final big action piece of the film, which is fine. It just kind of takes forever and takes all these detours to kind of get there, and it's mostly just kind of confusing. So let's try and get through these. So we have a scene of Goldfinger where he's meeting up with a lot of American mafia types. And to be honest, I quite enjoyed these guys quite a lot because they are so stereotypically like American mafia. Yeah, like twirling <laughs> mustaches almost. You felt like it was, it was, yeah, very Boy, it's more like, Hey, a wise guy, hey, that's me. Hey, I'm walking here. <laughs> hey, I'm walking here. Goldfinger, hey. Oh, what, where are they in my notes? Yeah, that's it. So basically, Goldfinger brings him into this big room, and then it's meant to be just like a, I don't know, a man's place. To There's a pool table, there's a bar and stuff. It's meant to be one of those like country club retreats type of place. And then at some point, Goldfinger starts hits buttons so he can reveal a big map and a, a big uh, uh, diorama, is that what you call it, I guess? Yeah, yeah. Of, of Fort Knox and stuff so he can explain what his plan is. But like, yeah, when the whole thing starts flipping, they're like, hey, what's going on here? And one of them's <laughs> like, hey, what is this, a merry-go-round? Hey! <laughs> <laughs> all these tiny little bits yeah the tiny little audio snippets yeah, yeah so they're, they're so over the top uh, and then they're like hey golfing you owe me a million bucks like they can't even come up with a like they all apparently Goldfinger needs to pay them all a million bucks and they all hate each other as well uh, yeah apparently they're all enemies yeah. but yeah they're fine in this one room together yeah so yeah so Goldfinger starts to explain this plan and between there, this kind of starts. And then as that is starting, we then cut a bond in his cell. And I kind of like this scene. We get him in a very tiny cell with a little small window. And then a, a guard sitting there, like completely nonplussed. And Bond keeps walking away and then walking up and then uh, waving to him and then and smiling. And that's something I noticed in this film. James Bond is smiling a lot. I don't know oh. if that's a weird thing to notice, but Sean Connery is just smirking or smiling for most of this film. I think, yeah, I think you're right. Sean Connery is just having a great time, clearly. Which I think ties into what we may end up talking about later about this is a very cocky version of Bond. And it's what you kind of mentioned before. This is definitely not the same Bond. Like, this is a different interpretation of the character. And we kind of see this a little bit with this scene where he walks up, smiles and waves, walks away, walks up, smiles and waves, walks away, and then comes back, smiles, and then winks, and then sinks down and disappears. (laughs) The wink is good. I do like the wink. Uh, So then the guard comes up, looks in the door, can't see him, and then he starts opening the door and we see that James Bond is on the ceiling <gasps> and drops down on the guard as he enters and, and knocks him out. Genius. I d- What's the physics of this situation? I don't know. How did he get up there? Can How you sink down 
and then climb up and hang on top of the ceiling without ever revealing yourself to that square on the door? Because I would say no. Cocky Bond can. Right, apparently so. Like, I would buy it almost if it was, like, Mission Impossible, right? If it was, like, Ethan Hunt or someone like that. But Sean Connery, the hairy Scotsman, like, getting up there? Hey, hey, hey now. We don't need to get hair involved with this. Well, they started it. The amount (laughs) amount of times he doesn't have a shirt in this film. I think we do. Yeah. I mean, it's... it's, um... It's a it's a fine little scene, and it's kind of they have a little payoff as well, don't they? When he's later on back in the jail cell, and there's like eight guards watching him instead of one, so it's a you know it it's fine for all it is. But you're right if you actually think about it, like, well, and also why was only one guard there to begin with? There were so many at the uh, Geneva place. Yeah, like I mean, they did this before with the Aston Martin, though, right? We'll just put one guard in the car. And that'll fix him up right up. And they just Never did it learns. again. Never learns from his mistake, Goldfinger. No. So again, cute little scene, but like a lot of these film uh a lot of these scenes in this film, just whatever. Um And then you kind of move back to Goldfinger, but this time Bond has escaped, and in the middle of the room there's the model of Fort Knox, and Bond pokes his head into the model of Fort Knox? Yeah. So he Why can hear he? what um, Goldfinger's plan is. Yes. Yeah, perfect opportunity to uh, explain the plot, the rest of the plot to the audience and and the, the other mafiosos in the in the room about, yeah, basically. I mean, it's a very simple bit so far. It's just he wants to steal the biggest bank in the world, which is Fort Knox, because uh, you don't get the other element of his plan quite yet. I just thought this whole bit with the the demonstration of the plan. I don't know. It is that it is that Bond villain lair to an extent. It's not really a lair, but it has all these overly complicated moving parts and walls that spin around, and this giant table that reveals itself. It's. I don't know. I was gonna. It, it's stupid. I didn't hate it, but it is silly. Um, I think the thing I really didn't like is what follows um, what happens to all these these mafia guys. But yeah, anyway, that's a little bit afterwards because yeah, Bond is Bond is under the model. You can just see his eye through one of the windows <laughs> of Fort Knox, uh, which you know could have easily got spotted there. So again, getting cocky. You're right; it's very cocky. Um, but it doesn't take long for him to get re- recaptured by is it Pussy Galore that finds him. Yeah, so basically he's listening to the plan and something that I notice is he's writing all this down and they show a shot of it. It's very lovely handwriting. You wouldn't... <laughs> For someone who smokes and drinks and uh, does what he does, you wouldn't think it, but uh, delightful handwriting. Very legible. Oh, I'm sure he went to the best schools. So... Oh, he must have done. He oh, must yes. have done. Absolutely. I think, didn't he go to Oxford or something? Isn't that actually part of the character? It's one, Yeah, one of those. Uh, Eaton, I can't remember. Yeah, it's something like that. So uh, one of the Mafia guys during the meeting leaves. I think he was called Solo, which feels a little bit on the nose. Um, But but whatever. Mm. Um, And we have Bond writing, doing his lovely little note. And I love this little moment because, again, Bond has been very cocky. So whenever Bond kind of gets knocked out, 
back down like this literally in this case it's quite satisfying so someone grabs bond's legs and he just falls flat on his face and it's like i like sean connery i like james bond i love that he fed on his face and then he turns around and it's it's pussy galore who's who's grabbed his legs (laughs) that's that's the quote there yeah but um yeah it gets caught and then he the little bit of paper with the lovely handwriting sort of wraps around the tracker puts it in his pocket, doesn't he? Yes. And I think on the, so yeah, the stuff that he overhears from the, the, the plan is basically um releasing can't remember the name of the gas now. Something nine, Delta Nine, maybe? Yeah, they have a name, but I couldn't tell you. Some toxic gas that would knock out all the guards in Fort Knox and that's how they um that's how they're gonna plan to break in. Uh, so that's what he writes down on the note anyway. And it's happening tomorrow. But yeah, doesn't really get very far with that because he gets knocked out uh, back in the jail cell. And then there's, as I say, about eight guards this time keeping an eye on him. Um, I did like that moment. That yeah. was quite funny. It, it, it's a little thing. It's just, yeah. I think there might have even been like a little funny, like a little lighthearted music cue with that bit as well. It's just, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff in this film that's kind of play for laughs. And some of it does work. Um, but it's it blows that line but between tongue and cheek and, and not. Although you could say that about the whole franchise, to be honest. So yeah, it's just exactly. very noticeable in this one with how many core elements are in here. But there's definitely more comedy. Like, there's been comedy since Doctor No, but there's definitely more comedy in this one than the other two. So what this all leads to, or, or so you say there's that one, the one mafia guy that, that objects to Goldfinger's plan, doesn't want any, any part of it, he just wants his money and he wants to go. And so Goldfinger obliges. This whole this whole bit, I, I get I get it, I get what they're trying to do. So um yeah, I can't remember his name, Solo, Solus, something like I that. I think it is Solo, which which again is like, oh the guy who's by himself who leaves is called Solo. <laughs> okay, all right. Nice one, guys. He gets his million uh dollars in gold put in his car and um why why is Bond out by this point? Why has Bond been released? So, no. So basically, Bond has escaped, but we jumped ahead a bit with him being in the room. So instead, what has happened is that Pussy Galore has captured him, is bringing him back to the cell, and they accidentally come across them at the front of the house at the same time. Uh. So they have to pretend like Bond actually isn't captured, and then he kind of goes along with it. And then afterwards is when he's he gets taken away. That's right. That's right. So yeah, Bond is there and and slips the tracker with the note into the mafia's pocket. Um, I guess with the idea being that yeah, once the CIA agents see him move, they're going to track that and then hopefully find the note and and the message. Then what follows is just one of the most bizarre scenes of the film for me, which is odd job driving the mafia guy, uh, seemingly to the airport. Although what actually happens is, oh, what, he misses the turn. Where is he going instead? He's going to what are these? What are those places called? Car compounds? Car... Yeah, so, yeah. I think I know. We, yeah, where cars get crushed, basically. The pound, um, I guess, right? Car, just, just yeah, pound. car pound. Uh, because he's Solo gets shot very quickly. Just yeah, gets shot, and then they decide to crush the car. And it's not that I don't think it's, I mean, it's fine. Like, yeah, crush the car, whatever. 
it just takes so long. It's like, is this meant to be exciting <laughs> watching a car getting crushed? I swear they just spend so much time with this shot. And yeah, it's just a car getting crushed. I don't get it. No, like it's weird because there's no spin, as you say. Like there's no music to this scene. Oddjob just shows up and we know the guy is dead in the car. Oh, I believe he's meant to be dead in the car. because Well, he has to be because the, the track is in there. Mm. And then it just gets picked up and it gets put in the crusher. And then it gets crushed. And then the cube gets moved and it gets put into Oddjob's car. And then Oddjob drives away. It's like what I was saying before, when usually films edit out certain scenes. Like, this is the, this is another one of those scenes where it's like, well, why don't you just show them go to the toilet if you're going to waste our time with this sort of stuff? No, that would be something. Like, you could have just cut to Oddjob kidding the guy and then cut to the... You know, there's a way of doing this, but they just show everything and it just takes ages. And all it leads to is Oddjob driving back with the cube, I think. I don't even know why he takes the cube. Uh, and then the Americans are like, oh, the signal is gone. I guess we'll go to the, the farm... I guess it's... Oh, it's so tedious. <laughs> well, he takes the cube because it's still got the gold in it. But, yeah. But was car crushing a new technology in 1964? I don't know. It just... <laughs> well, is going, wow, that car's turned into a cube. Amazing. <laughs> wow. How do they do this? Yeah, I, I, I can't imagine that's the case, but it's just like... Because also through this, the Americans are following odd job. So that's another thing that makes this tedious, where they're following him. They almost miss the turn, but then Oddjob just gets the car crushed anyway. And then we just kind of go back to the Americans being like, oh, that well, that I guess it's gone. Let's go back to the farm, I guess. And that's that. It's like, oh yeah. my God, this this film just, it's it's one of those where I praise Dr. Nova being simple and having a being fast paced. And this is the same type of simple plot, but just has these extra scenes that Dr. No just would have totally cut because not every scene has a real function and a real purpose and you kind of feel it sometimes. Like, it didn't feel like a long film. It's just all these moments where you're just like, okay, we got it. Yep, he's crushing the car. Nice. Okay, still crushing the car. Okay, cool. All right, it's becoming a cube. Nice. Okay, we've got it. It's become yeah. a cube. Nope, they're showing it being picked up. Okay, it's going into the car. Right, Oddjob back. Oh, it's just too much. I just don't get it. I actually, I was so annoyed by this. I was looking up how long I had spent watching it. And from sort of leaving in the car with Bond putting the tracker in to coming back, five minutes of screen time, which oh. is huge if you think about that in terms yeah. of the film. Five minutes to watch a car get crushed and come back. I haven't got time for this. <laughs> It's just you really feel it coming off the other two Bond films where they just had such fast pacing. Sometimes I'll be too fast pacing. And this one can be fast paced at times. But as you say, everything from the farm onwards just goes into a different gear. And we just spend so much time on stuff. We just don't need time to... to we don't need to do this. Yeah. And and meanwhile, well, actually, I don't know, it was just before. Uh, yeah, I guess... Meanwhile, I guess because he would have left the room... Uh, Goldfinger gasses all of the mafia guys and kills them all. Yep, I mean I, the only I can't think of any explanation apart from maybe he was testing the gas and just needed yeah. to get these tested. That's sensible, and you you can't really nitpick this in terms of like why why did he give that big speech and then he killed them all? Well, it's because the audience needs to know. Like you can't 
it's very clear filmmaking going on here and narrative. I'm not going to bash it because of that. I'm not going to be like, that's a stupid thing. Why did he do that for? But um, I think they could have maybe done it a little bit neater than that. Anyway. It, it's once again a bit clumsy. Like it just doesn't, it serves one function without properly serving the other function. Like you, you could have had any number of things. You could have maybe had them capture uh, Jill's sister and kept her in the film at this point and then have him, I, I don't know, have something there. I don't know. There's, there's, there's other ways of doing it and they just kind of needed to it, it just it's one of those where when you kind of think about it you're like oh i guess it's fine or oh i guess this is why this has happened but in the moment it's just more kind of like huh what what it's just more confusion to why things are playing out the way they are yeah exactly uh and then we fade back to the farm because the americans are now heading back there and this is another case where the Americans just look dumb because they're just standing by the fence and go. They just get spotted instantly, like, yeah, straight away. <laughs> um, and it's here where we get the explanation to why James Bond is still alive, or at least it kind of comes together a little bit more. Where I think a very common criticism of this film, and I don't really disagree with it, is why do we have James Bond being captured and kept alive by Goldfinger for such a large amount of time? But I believe the the idea is that that Goldfinger is intentionally trying to fake it that James Bond has everything under control, so the Americans and MI6 leave him alone. And as long as he keeps James Bond under wraps and doesn't get any information out there, the Americans and everyone has no idea about the plan with Fort Knox. So as long as he keeps that under wraps, then it's worth keeping James Bond alive because if he dies, then everyone will come after him and then they might find his plan and then his plan gets foiled. And because the plan is going ahead the next day, so soon, you might as well just kind of keep him alive. And that's all fair enough, but I didn't get that sense during the film. And it's one of those, for me anyway... It was more of an after the fact, like, oh, yeah, I guess that makes sense. But when I was watching this, I was like, uh, it's just it's, it's another confusing thing. And another thing that just kind of fills off. Um, I think, yeah, I agree. I think it's a logical when you when you think about it, it's a logical decision for Goldfinger to make. Can't argue with, with the logic of keep him alive, keep other people out of the picture. I mean, even M says not that Goldfinger would have known, but we get that scene where M's saying to Felix, you know, don't interfere, just leave Bond to it. Which sort of cements the idea of just make everything look like it's working and then they won't bug him to Goldfinger. That does not change the fact that I think it's a poor filmmaking decision to have this idea of Bond basically doing nothing for the second half of the film. He does, he does very little. He's there for a lot of it, but he doesn't actually do much. Um, and again, it, it, it links into the idea of the, the director and the change of a Bond character, the cockiness. He's not perfect. He's sitting in a jail cell for some parts of the film. I just don't agree. I just don't like that uh, personally as a as a plot point. But you can't argue with with yeah why Goldfinger keeps Bond Bond alive. Yeah, the, the logic is there if you're willing to invest in it. And if you are, then fair enough. But personally, I, I kind of struggled. But it's an interesting one because we spoke about last time with From Russia With Love where it's very similar, where there's a big chunk of the film where Bond does very little. You get a lot of setup at the start. And I feel like the fact that they flipped it where at the start of the film, when everything is being set up, is when Bond is very 
passive and is more just kind of an observer and you and then eventually as the film goes on he gets more involved he becomes more the main character after the members of the cast end up dying and it becomes more focused on him it makes sense it's it's this james bond film and during the climax and during the second half of the film it's all about him but this one we get a, a flip of it where it's so focused on james bond like an absurd amount of focus is on look at James Bond and how cool it is and all the stuff that he's doing way more than any of the other films. And then about two thirds of the way through or about a third of the, you know, halfway through potentially he's captured and then just doesn't do much at all. Um, and I think the fact that it has it that way round is what makes it very jarring where we go from Bond doing a lot to doing nothing where if you had him doing a lot no sorry if you had him not doing much and build up to it that feels like a proper escalation and you get more invested as you go but yeah as you say i mean it doesn't help that this part of the film is also just really sluggish and slow if they made this very quick if they cut out a ton of this stuff and made it a lot more streamlined you wouldn't even mind it that much because you would get to fort knox and fort knox is where bond still does some stuff in there it's just you have to spend a big chunk of this film just with not much going on particularly with bond and and it just kind of drags this whole part of the film out pretty much yeah i just poor poor pacing and you're, you're right as well it it doesn't really match the template of a of a typical sort of three act is it three acts five acts yeah. there's a, there's that there's that you know filmmaking thing about having the climax and then the it it, it doesn't it doesn't match that really unlike as you say rush of love i think did it a lot better um, not to say that it couldn't have worked. I think you're right. I think if this bit was a bit more heavily edited, that gap of of Bond not doing anything wouldn't be as obvious. But anyway, what I, I do like the next bit though. Like I didn't. I said I didn't really like much about this Kentucky scene. I did like the scene where um, Bond is kind of so. Yeah, as you say, the CIA couple are spotted by Goldfinger and he sort of has that idea of okay let's keep Bond looking comfortable so that they don't get involved and basically tells Pussy Galore to um you know start flirting with Bond make him make him comfortable and so that happens and then you end up with a kind of like a little a little drink between Bond and Goldfinger and that's where you get kind of second half of his plan revealed and what I like about this is that you're seeing you're seeing Bond work it out with, um, like, along with yourself. Like it, it's very. I think there was there was bits about atomic stuff maybe before, but it was never really very heavily pointed out. Whereas I liked that you had this this um, hand in hand revelation with Bond, and you could see him working out, and also that you could see Goldfinger just enjoying it so much. You could see him in, get, being really smug. And 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 loving the fact that Bond is working out his grand plan, and kind of adds to that idea of the character. As no, he he's sort of a bit of a little dweeb, really. <laughs> like like he he loves to be seen as being smart and and uh, being proven right. And I just thought this little back and forth between him and Goldfinger, uh, or sorry, him and Bond, was really really good. Yeah, this is where their chemistry kind of because it's already been set up about Bond antagonizing him, but it become it being flipped. But now we have this more kind of casual chat where again they're more kind of acquaintances, and yeah, you get Bond figuring this stuff out. But it, it's it's satisfying to see we had the plan spelled out to us before, and we thought we had it, but to have this extra twist, I really enjoy that little extra twist there 
Um, and I think it's also revealed at this point that he is working for... Oh, is it Korea? Or is it China? Oh, I th- it would make more sense to be Korea, right? Because isn't that... They say something about Oddjob being... Yeah, Oddjob's Korean. So probably Korea then. I think it's Korea. So basically he's working with an Asian uh, country to sink the US economy... So he's he Goldfinger is obsessed with gold. It comes up quite a bit, and he has a ton of gold reserves. And also the uh, this this other country, which I'm going to look up in a second, um, wants the U.S. economy to to tank. So it's kind of a win-win. So they're actually working together, and that's why throughout the film, all of uh, Goldfinger's workers and henchmen have been of Asian descent because he's working with an Asian country to. Uh, destabilize uh, the US economy by irradiating the gold and making it worthless in Fort Knox. Yeah. Yeah, cuz it's and apparently that was a that wasn't in the novel of Goldfinger. Um and it was apparently like quite a big plot hole. People soon realizes and it's, they mention it in the film about how it would be so unfeasible to steal that much gold, you know, the weight of it and and the actual operation of doing that would be impossible. So it's kind of I quite like what they did. Where they 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 fill that plot hole with quite an interesting. It's not just a, a cover over. It actually makes it more interesting as a plot. And yeah, as I say, you get this really good sort of superiority complex of of Goldfinger, and really kind of get an idea of. I don't know. It kind of makes him seem a little bit sad to me, like <laughs> just how much he's relishing this. But uh, yeah, I liked it. Yeah, they definitely paint it that way. Something else that comes up that whenever Bond talks to the women that's around Goldfinger, he's almost like he doesn't say directly, but it's like, are you are you sleeping with him? Basically, yeah, um, yeah. And then I'm like, no, it's strictly professional. Ew, but Bond no. asks him more than once about it. <laughs> yeah, and you can see when he's when Goldfinger's with Pussy Galore, and he sort of strokes around a little bit, and it's just like, oh, yeah, he's trying, but no, they ain't biting. No. So after all that, because the Americans are watching them, they're like, ah, that that all seems up above board to us. And they leave. And then Bond and we get this scene, which is probably mm. the worst scene in the film. And it's the one that really uh, derails things where Bond and Pussy Galore walk away. And then they go into, is it a barn? Yeah. Yeah, they go into a barn. Like Bond grabs Pussy Galore twice trying to kind of be i guess flirty would be the word but basically hitting on her again so she flips him over of which because she she's trained i can't i can't remember what she's trained in it's qui-gon doe or something like that oh was that a line in the film i didn't don't recall that i think it's something like that or it may it might be bond guessing but she is meant to be trained in a in some sort of martial art so then flips him over because he's grabbing her bond then trips her on the floor and then how did i write this down i put awkward <laughs> um yeah bond then flips her and then basically goes to kiss her which she is very visibly not okay with and is very visibly trying to make it stop but bond eventually does kiss her and then after a little bit of kissing, she then melts and is into it. And it's like, that was hard to watch. It's like, this. I hope this is the worst 
that bond gets in terms of this type of stuff because this was kind of painful to sit through i want to say that it probably is at least i hope it is the worst um yeah i i kind of similar vibes i just said it's very very uncomfortable very poorly aged doesn't really go far enough but um one one little positive just before this bit i really i I just another little thing that made me laugh that wasn't really that funny but just tickle me it's just how much she gets launched into that pile of hay <laughs> bond doesn't even do that big of a like a, a move and she is thrown anyway um yeah the scene itself bad obviously for the reasons that we're saying it's just like very 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 dodgy but also bad in the sense of for the character which is what we were saying before about how it just completely lets that idea down of of uh pussy galore being different and and not falling for him and and actually acting as a bit of an equal to bond that just goes out the window uh, after a very very forceful kiss and i don't know yeah it's like i actually looked this up afterwards because i i this was one of the things that was in my mind about this film before watching it i knew this was going to come up obviously and i was like oh, how is this going to be and i looked up kind of what people said about it it's kind of as you'd expect it's it's not great there are some people trying to defend it by saying that actually she's smiling it's like a sort of play fight thing and uh, i don't mm. really know you can get away with that i mean i did go back and watch and it's like well i suppose if you really want to see like that you could but you can't really avoid what you're actually seeing like the struggle and it's just like the lean in and everything it's just so bad um so i'm glad that it kind of didn't last very long but just kind of goes to show how far we've come with the bond character really i mean it has been 60 years so yeah it, it's so bad because of just how integral it, no let's not use that word uh it it's so bad due to just how critical this scene and bond and pussy galore getting together is to the plot where mm-hmm. if they didn't get together this film doesn't make sense or it doesn't work out in the way that you kind of expect it to so the fact that they did it this way was probably lazy filmmaking in terms of like, oh, they're both two physical people. They'll just get physical with each other and eventually they'll turn to kissing and there we go. That's a, that's a job well done, everybody. Uh, but it just comes across as so awkward and just like, just gross. And I don't mind so much Bond kind of chatting out women and then falling for him quick that stuff maybe not great but i i don't mind that too much these side characters that are just kind of like oh james or whatever like that stuff's fine but when you kind of take a character like pussy galore despite her absurd name and set her up to be one way and then have it play out this way it's just like no like i think bond can be a womanizer without having to kind of do this stuff um and and it's just kind of a shame. It's just something you just kind of have to put up with. I'm assuming people who really love this film and think it's like their favorite in the franchise just kind of gloss over it. Yeah. But again, I don't see how you can gloss over it because it's integral to the film. The, the 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 whole end bit doesn't play out the way it's meant to if this doesn't happen. So yeah, it's just a shame from from a, every angle. That's another reason why I don't like it as well. Is is yeah, as you say, it is integral, and I just don't I don't like that plot where this goes in full stop but but anyway um at least at least after this you get another good score you get i don't know what the piece is called but it's the like the attack on fort knox theme so good honestly kind of makes up for 
what is, I don't know, quite a, not very interesting, really. But the music really sells this. Yes. So we now get to the plan. Like, it's all been explained. It's all been set up. Yeah. We see Pussy Galore's flying circus fly over uh, Fort Knox. Uh, lots of shots of the planes and things like that. And they drop the gas. And as they go over, the gas drops and we see the army men or the US army all fall over. It's one of those where it's kind of brilliant how they do it. Because when you first see it, you're like, that seems very fake. Because yeah. you see the planes go over and just instantly all these army men collapse. And you're like, well, that's not how gas works, right? Surely not. And especially because they all do it in sync and things like that. We get lots of shots of army people falling down. But they do eventually kind of explain that. And I do quite like how we get this imagery of just all these army men on the floor supposedly dead. Because earlier in the film, Bond explains to Goldfinger, oh, you're not knocking out these people with this gas. You're going to kill them. And Goldfinger's like, yep, that's, yep, that's got to make a, break a few eggs to to make an (laughs) omelette. I was, I was so ready to just tear this film apart because I actually forgot about the, the little twist at the end. And I was like, about to write this is so stupid i mean you can see them bracing themselves as they're about to fall down it wouldn't happen um but as you say there is a reason for that uh <laughs> i still think i still think it's it could have like I, I i can i can appreciate the sort of wink at the audience in that if you were to rewatch it again you'd be like oh yeah the signs were there but i am also still just a bit annoyed by it as well i don't know i think it's still kind of stupid mm, yeah it, it definitely is but I, I like the imagery of all the all the collapsed army people on the ground that you're supposed to think is dead it's i i use the word striking perhaps too much but it, it's very it's yeah seeing uh the goldfinger and all that or odd job i should say and the trucks go through this scene where it's supposed to be this big uh u.s army base but they're all just collapsed on the ground i think that looks pretty cool i, I thought that was quite neat um, and we also see Felix uh, in yeah. his car as <laughs> yes. well. That's like a really dramatic zoom straight towards Felix. Um, so now that everyone has been killed, wink, wink, all the trucks come through, they get to a gate. They spoke about the gate before, and I don't really get why, because the American gangster was like, ah, oh, what are you going to do about this gate, see? And he's like, I'll just blow it up. So now this is the scene where they just find a gate and they just blow it up Um, yeah kind of flimsy gate if you ask me yeah they just got some plastic explosives and and there it goes so okay cool neat why is it electrified (laughs) yeah doesn't matter it's down yeah so so this is all about the execution of the plan that we have heard and so far everything is going amazing uh for them they've knocked it or they've killed everyone they've blown up the gate we then see the laser again to open the door which is the the nice callback where we see that laser, but we're like, well, why does he have a laser? But now we see this laser was specifically designed so they could open up the door to Fort Knox. So I thought that was a, a really neat callback. Why the lasers in Switzerland? I don't know. That's a different conversation. Hmm. <laughs> um, you would just that's... make it in America, wouldn't you? But I don't know. That's a good point. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. But it's still nice. It's still a nice callback to, like, oh, there's that laser now actually being used. And then Goldfinger lands in the helicopter 
or land yeah his helicopter lands he gets out he's wearing another what outfit is his where he's wearing it's something odd um i don't it's just like a coat isn't it i don't, I don't remember it being too odd oh fair enough maybe it's just because of all the other odd stuff he's worn throughout the film i mean that first shot of him in those shorts whew. well there you go yeah you talk about sex appeal <laughs> there you go yeah oh yeah i want the calendar Jill who? I... <laughs> Pussy who? <laughs> uh, yeah, so they open up the vault and then they set up the bomb because the whole point is that there's this dirty bomb that they're going to do a radi- radiator gold. So that all gets set up. And as that happens, we then cut to Felix waking up and everyone else also waking up because it turns out they're all faking it. Wow. And we don't know why. But for some reason, they were all faking it, and they're all now up and about, ready to ready to go. Yeah, they're not all zombies. Don't worry about that. Oh they yeah, that would be cool. Up. That would have been a very different film, or the ending anyway. Um, that did throw me. As I say, I completely forgot that this was the little twist that they actually faked that that death bit. Um, and I was kind of pleased because, as I say, I was angry up to that point. Like, well, why do they fall down so stupidly? I gotta say, I mean, it's like there's still a lot of things that i don't like about this but especially how it came to be that they they could do this that's what i hate the most um but yeah they're all there they're all ready to to try and counter i say counter i mean they're already in the fort knox by the time they all wake up again but yeah you end up with lots of army guys shooting and then you sort of get you get the 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 bad guys versus the good guys to an extent just a lot of shooting a lot of craziness once again i enjoyed that part of it so what is happening is that bond has been there the whole time and they actually handcuff him to the bomb and put him in four knocks but as you say the u.s army is now woken up and is now fighting it is china by the way uh according to Wikipedia. oh it's china oh okay um the the chinese army uh, and i think that works really well it's a template we see time and time again with the bond franchise where it's bond trying to save the day while a big fight is taking place so we've seen it a lot but i i still think it's quite cool especially when it's like the u.s army trying to storm its own place with fort knox i thought that was quite quite neat you don't see anything too technical in terms of the fight or things like that it's just people kind of running and shooting at each other but it's the first time we're seeing this format and to be honest i quite enjoyed it i thought it worked quite well here i think for me it was just i mean it makes sense being the third film it just felt a little bit um i don't know small ironically for for being where it is and what was actually meant to be happening as you say an attack on fort knox and it, it just didn't really have the the gravity to me, but that could just well be because yeah, early on they didn't didn't quite master these big fight scenes, and then yeah, but as you say, Bond is handcuffed to the dirty bomb, as they say, and is taken down into the vault. I will say I really did like the the set of. Um, Fort Knox. I, I'm I'm pretty sure they didn't actually get to see what it looked like. I doubt that's actually what it looks like, but uh, it's a really cool setting for the end of the film. You know, these big bars, big gold stacked up, really tall, all the stairs and everything. And obviously, when all the soldiers are eventually down there later on, you, it is kind of a cool. You get that. It is almost like the Bond villain lair, 
uh, with the big shootout at the end. And that bit I did like. So, yeah, good job, Ken Adam. Yeah, inside the fold looks amazing. And we get another one of those zoom out large shots. So you really feel it when Bond is going down on that lift tied to the bomb. Like it zooms out and it shows it when it feels massive. And that is something this film does very well, having these rooms feel massive. And having this, you know, you know it's the finale, you know it's Fort Knox. It's a it's a really great feeling. It it works really well. Yeah, definitely. And I really like playing just it really reminded me watching this that the level in I mean the game the game was terrible. But uh 007 Legends where it has the, the level where you play in Fort Knox. Kind of cool. I liked being able to play it because yeah, they did a good job <laughs> taking it from <laughs> film to the game and I like just like seeing it on the film again. Yeah. So while this is all happening, we get a nice moment of Goldfinger because he shuts the vault to lock odd job a random guy and bond in there. But while this is all going on, the fight between the US and the Chinese army, he then stresses as a I think a US general, right? Yeah. He's got the little hat and everything. Yeah, he quickly switches out. Uh he gets his golden gun out, which was always like, oh, the other man with the golden gun. I know mm-hmm. this guy. Uh, yeah. Uh, and then we have him shoot the Chinese guy he was with to trick the US Army into thinking he's one of them. And then he shoots them in the back. <laughs> it's like <laughs> the most cowardly, horrible like way to escape out there. Just killing everyone. No loyalty. He's just going to get out of there. Yeah, it, it's, it's about what 30 seconds on screen but it it really does it's very telling of the character um so a great little touch uh so late in the film like by this point you kind of think what are they going to do with goldfinger now like the plot's been foiled what where is he going to go how is he going to be caught but they managed to sneak in these little bits still which i think really helps yeah it's very nice so yeah goldfinger's trapped um odd job some other guy what the other guy that was helping goldfinger along the way the whole time don't even think he's named um and bond in the vault and very logically the, the that other guy tries to stop the bomb because he doesn't want to die but odd jobs having none of that throws him over the edge not nothing's going to stop the plan he's very loyal to goldfinger i'll give odd job that uh good employee but um <laughs> bonds down at the bottom and kind of sees this you know as an opportunity now to try and stop the bomb himself then you get like yeah this scene with bond at the bottom goldfinger at the top goldfinger's kind of working out uh, sorry uh odd job working out what bond's trying to do and so he likes really hurriedly i think it's just the sound effects of the the shoes just really made me laugh like this little tip tapping of the shoes coming down the stairs trying to get to bond in time and then you've got this big bulky character doing it but uh i was as i was watching i was like are you going to throw the hat? Throw the hat. You've If only you <laughs> that's had something. True. Yeah, that's true. It's worth a punt, at least, right? Just give it's it like a it, go. Please throw the hat. You have a weapon that you can throw and stop Bond. You don't need to be near him. Thank God he actually does throw the hat. I'm so glad that they did do that. Otherwise, I've been very annoyed. Uh, though he does miss. But anyway, yeah, he gets down. And this kind of leads into kind of the last proper fight scene of the film between Oddjob and Bond. And now I've read that other people really like this this fight scene. I thought it was pretty bad. I think mainly coming from the fact, having just watched From Russia of Love, which had a very a very good fight scene, a very different sort of fight scene. Obviously, in that one, very rough, very um, 
very close and and messy in in the train uh in the train carriage and this one kind of the opposite in that it's very very big open space but to me a lot more i mean they were both choreographed but this one kind of clearly choreographed like this you know odd job does this then bond does this i just thought it was a bit slow and a can't i don't think there's any music i think it's silent which is fine we kind of kind of said that was a good thing about the previous in in fresh of love but i'm not a big fan of this fight scene i don't know what you think I generally agree. I think the setup is great where you have this bomb that's on a timer and you have the US and Chinese armies fighting outside and all this pressure and things like that. And, you know, you've got all this build up to odd job being this great villain and being tough and things like that. I think all the elements were there where going into the fight. Uh, I've spoken about before about how some of these fights, the like half the battle is simply how they set these up. Uh, and I think there they did a, a really good job of having them locked in together and in Fort Knox in such a great set as well. But the actual fight itself, they try to make use of the space, but they just end up like throwing each other around. And there's a lot of, I mean, it, it's such a cliche at this point of just Bond hitting someone and them not reacting and this was the first one of them to do it so that's probably quite cool but now that we've had other versions of it it's just like that's not particularly interesting like bond has now by this point fought so many people like this and odd job doesn't really bring that much to the table and the way that this fight kind of has to play out is by odd job throwing his hat and then just like missing twice i want to say or does bond throw it no bond throws it the first time no, he yes. can't have thrown it the first time. But no, so Oddjob throws it as he's coming down the steps. Yeah. And, and misses. Then But that's that hit the wire. Then does it, then Bond picks it up and throws it and misses? Then that hits the wire. Oh. Okay. There there's some back and forth with the hat anyway. Yeah, like you got a little bit of a scene where Bond gets the hat and they're just like circling each other. And then I, I think it's Bond throws the hat in that moment. And then it hits some wires that come down. Uh, and then eventually... No, no, that can't be it. What? <laughs> How does this scene work? No, because Bond... Doesn't Bond throw the hat and that's how it gets wedged in the bar? Yes, yes, because he tricks him. Because he, like, I think it's... It's never said, but I think it's implied that he kind of somewhat did that intentionally. Oh, okay. I think you might be giving Bond a bit too much credit there, but that's all right. Yeah. Oh, maybe. I, I thought he saw the wires. I don't think it's spelled out or anything, but I thought the idea is that he saw those wires there. So he knew that there was metal and he knew Archer would go for it. So he threw it intentionally there to make him turn around so he could then grab the pipe and, and electrocute him. Yeah. It's, as I said, not a great fight to me, but I did say good death. <laughs> I like I oh, yeah. the way that he... he gets rid of odd job it's cool you know can't can't beat a good electrocution lots of lights lots of smoke i did always find it funny how um how quickly odd job his his reaction is to when bond has the hat it's like he suddenly gets very scared <laughs> it's just like this almighty hat nothing else has stopped odd job but as soon as someone else has his hat <gasps> danger <laughs> it's just <laughs> really made me laugh but yeah um he does get electrocuted uh, I, i've had a thought actually do you think they because the very opening of the film has someone be shocked and killed 
and he says shocking positively shocking do you think that was to parallel odd jobs death oh oh i can't say for sure and Mm. i definitely didn't think about it when watching the film so i guess in that terms it's a little bit of a failure even if they did but this is the second time this has happened and it kind of ends off the film to a certain degree and he doesn't say a line so i don't know if the audience was meant to in their head be like shocking positively shocking (laughs) like i don't know if they were meant to do that i would (laughs) how great would it have been if he actually just says the line again it's like well no one else is here (laughs) no one else knows i said this before i'm just gonna say it again (laughs) he could say something like i guess lightning does strike twice you know you're something like that i mean he does have a pun later on when they ask what happened to our job and he says he blew a fuse so yeah it's no shocking though is it? it, it's not the same but he always has one in the bag doesn't he he always has one ready yeah yeah for sure it's just, yeah, this scene is pretty kind of weak. It's, it's Bond punching someone who's super strong. He throws his hat and just Bond slightly ducks, I think, that he misses. And, and as you say, it's it's a call the way it kind of resolves and, and things like that. It's just, yeah, it, it feels a bit weak overall. Yeah, you kind of almost, you'd want more of a uh, an ending with Bond versus goldfinger which we don't really get unfortunately and to have this instead and not be very good anyway is a bit of a downer on the end of the film yeah so so you know mixed bad with odd job as we said earlier i like odd job but it's just a mixed bag when you actually watch this film very much so i i think i think for me i've come away eh probably not really liking the character very much but that's fine he's dead now yeah (laughs) shocking so now that our job is dead uh and the u.s army is actually winning their battle and getting to fort knox we then have this scene of bond trying to get into the bond and trying to disable the bomb i think i just said bond there that's not right uh bond trying to disable the bomb there we go there you go uh, and then he forces the case open. He's looking at it, and he's just like, "I, I, I don't know what I'm looking at." <laughs> <laughs> I quite like his just pure confusion, just touching everything, trying to pull a little wire. No, that doesn't. He's just work. slightly touching stuff because he doesn't want to do anything. <laughs> and then it's ticking down. And again, I don't think we get any sweaty Sean, which is mm, not great. If um, there, if there was any time for a, a sweaty Sean, that would be it. Come on. What they should have done is have him sweat, and then the water diffuses the bomb. <laughs> That would have been good. The salt in the sweat reacts in some way. <laughs> yeah, and it just corrodes like the right wire. I think you should get onto. Um, I can't remember the names of whoever writes the Bond scripts now. You need to find their contact details, Tom. Yeah, there's still time. Oh, there is. There's lots of time. Let's be honest. Until the next one. Uh, so then, eventually, it resolves because we see all the U.S. Army guys come down, and then I'm assuming a bomb diffusal specialist they don't really yeah. mention him he's just like a guy who looks like that like a smart dude just he's got a hat flips, he's wearing a hat so he's a smart guy mm-hmm. uh, he just flips his flips a switch and that turns off the bomb which lands on the iconic 007 which i always really appreciated i think it's quite silly that it lands on 007 when 007 doesn't actually stop the bomb uh someone else did so yeah. I don't know if he has a call number associated to him, but really it wasn't 
Bond that actually stopped it. And also, on that note, if you notice one of the lines, I think straight afterwards, Bond says something like, uh, three more ticks and and Goldfinger would have hit the jackpot or something along those lines. I think that's one of those things that actually changed afterwards. They thought, actually, 007 would be a cooler one to end on. So it doesn't really quite match up if you think about it. But yeah, just a little note that I caught. Yeah, that you don't see that. They kind of just cut to it independently, just 007 yeah. on the bomb. Yeah. And that's it. Day saved. Great job, everyone. It's here where everyone's kind of patting themselves on the back. We find out that Pussy Galore, due to the fact that Bond seduced her, switched the gas canisters to be non-lethal, which is why all the army was able to, to fake it. And also at the same time told the US, like, hey, this is what's going to happen tomorrow, which is what makes that seduction so key and critical and also quite sad that they just did a terrible job with it well i'm trying to work out is it a bad thing that it wasn't shown because my first impression was oh that sucks like that's such a crucial thing and it was just an off camera like we're just learning about it now but then i'm like well actually yeah that's kind of the point because it's a twist and and we're meant to find out at the same time i'm in two minds about it because on one hand i do i do like i do like the twist of it but I just, I just don't like that. Yeah, it was meant to happen in that scene. I just don't really think there was enough between Bond and Pussy Galore. I mean, there there was, but uh, I'm very conflicted with this. I'm leaning towards not liking it, but at this point, I don't really care either. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would lean on not liking it, but. But like you say, I like the idea of this playing out in this way, where we get the scene where everything is going right for Goldfinger, and then it suddenly turns around and the US are actually in on it, and, you know, we there's something we don't know, and it changes how this plays out. I think that could be quite cool, because you're you're not too sure what's going on. I just think with the way Goldfinger as a film has played out, your patience is just kind of, like, not there. Like, if you were more into the film and and things like that, or if we were more into the film, you would kind of be like, oh, that's a nice little reveal, a nice little twist there. But, yeah, I think it was lack of patience at this point, which is why I would generally say, yeah, actually, no, thank you. That's that's dumb. It really is lack of patience, because we're, like, we're probably about... I mean, if you exclude credits... I think at this point we might be about five minutes from the end of the film. And yeah, we're learning about this. That's fine. That's great. There's still Goldfinger to deal with, though. <laughs> so he's <laughs> still out there. Um, yeah, they, they they stop the bomb. Bond's off to go see the president uh, for some sort of commendation, I'm sure. And into the plane. Is Pussy Galore in the plane? Oh, yeah, she's... She's flying. She's the pilot. Of course she is. She's the pilot. Um, And it's all looking like it's just, just swell. Who, I just love that he, I love that, uh, oh no, Goldfinger's on the plane. He comes from behind this little curtain. It's just like, (laughs) with his gun, just this little curtain, little things. Uh, Yeah, Goldfinger somehow snuck aboard this plane, sort of, you, you get some shots of what I presume are the actual crew being, uh tied up um and he's managed to sneak on and i i can't really even say much about this last literally last three minutes of the film where they just have to get rid of goldfinger um i think there's he maybe has like 
one line, two lines, before um, it ends up in a, again, in a bit of a tussle with a gun on board a plane, which was set up quite quite uh, nicely with, with Bond and Pussy Galore earlier because the gun gets shot and decompression, out the window he goes in a very... It's, it's um, great. It's, so it's great. It's, 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 it's so bad, it's good sort of thing. Um, but yeah, he gets sucked out the window. Some great facial expressions. Uh, if you like freeze frame on his face as he's getting pulled out, <laughs> which I did. And uh, yeah, it, it, that's, that's it. That's him gone. It, it really is just like shockingly fast how, how quickly they get rid of him. Yeah, I liked it though. It's it's nice that they didn't have a big long sequence after the four knocks one, which we kind of complained a little bit about the pacing for from Russia with Love last time. So this one feels potentially an overcorrection. But again, at this point in the film, you just kind of need that wrapped up, and you get this kind of nice moment of Goldfinger having quite a memorable death and also quite a humiliating death, which feels very appropriate for the character. I think they did a great job in terms of balancing those two, something you kind of that sticks with you, but also like, yes, it makes sense that Goldfinger would kind of die in this fashion, getting sucked out of his own plane because he was stupid enough to fire off a gun and then just thrown out of it. So I I, I really liked it. As brief as it was, I thought it was a really solid way of, of kind of ending his character. Yeah, definitely not the most graceful of exits. I just wish... I don't know, to me, I just wish that the film was better paced in that we didn't have to have this Russian an ending. I think we've had so much time spent with Bond and Goldfinger and I think there could have been more use for that at the end. But, you know, we've got credits to get to and, um, <laughs> and yeah, I, mean, I just I can't get over how quickly it is. It's just it's minutes before the end of the credits. Uh, before the credits start and end of the film. Um, but not before there's like one more action-y piece. You can really call it that because the plane's been shot. It's, it's decom- decompressed and going in sort of a nosedive free fall. And yeah, Bond and, and Pussy Galore at the controls trying to trying to save it. It ends up with, is it is it Felix that's looking at the screen or someone or just like the American army or something? Looking I at- think it's Felix, right? It would yeah. make sense. They're, they're kind of got the, the plane on a tracker and they're seeing it nosedive and then suddenly there's this little extra dot on the on the map shooting out of it. Um, yeah, and it turns out that they parachuted out, but, or, or I don't know, jet seat? <laughs> like, what was it? But um, It was a parachute because he covers them with the parachute at the end. At the end, right. But again, it's another thing that's off screen. It just happens. I guess a, quite a complex shot to do, but... Just just seeing it on a little screen like that, uh, it's another thing that's kind of a bit cheap and fast at the end I didn't really like. Yeah, so, and that's basically it. The yeah. US Army is trying to find them. Bond and Pussy Galore are making out under a parachute. And it was like, this is no time to be rescued. And, and that's your lot, the credits roll. We don't get any, no, the end, or is it this time? Uh, we get the more <laughs> traditional, the end, and James Bond will return in Thunderball. And we also get the Goldfinger theme playing again. Like they do hammer it home quite a lot, but I think it, it makes way more sense to... It, it was nice to hear it again. Um, but I thought it was noteworthy that they didn't just play the James Bond theme, because I'm pretty sure that's what kind of happens later down the road. But instead we'd know, like, that focal theme, they were really pushing it big. So that's actually the last thing you hear over these credits. 
Yeah, I mean, I suppose when you've got a theme like that, they're gonna they're gonna try and rinse it for as many times as they can. I, mean, I like that though. I think there is something to be said about having a theme reoccurring throughout the film. I always like it when they do that, and it just really cements. I don't know, it just makes it into a whole package, you know. It makes it very um, unified, and I like that. But, yeah, it's something that other films do versions of, but it's something so iconic to Bond and so unique to Bond that, yeah, it's enjoyable when they do it. So the question is, I think the ranking is actually now starting to get a bit interesting. Now that we're up to three, <laughs> you can, <laughs> you can three actually them. rank them. <laughs> so, Tom, I, I'm going to ask you, where would you put this on the current ranking? So th- this has been a difficult one. So I guess I'm going to try and summarise my thoughts on the film and then then go from there. The things I really like, I think, are still really strong. There's a lot of stuff and a lot of scenes that do really work and I really enjoy. And as you say, with the music and things like that, the car is great. Some of these developments, the stuff that works before what still works. But Bond is characterised in a way that I think sinks the entire film and the pacing just isn't there and has just kind of fallen off a cliff. I think I've gotten more annoyed about this film during this podcast than I did actually watching it (laughs) because I still came away positive about the film. Uh, I would not say I didn't enjoy my time. I wouldn't say I regret watching it. I I enjoyed watching it and I think the stuff that works still works well. I still like Goldfinger is like a classic villain. Oddjob is kind of a bit silly but fine. The the Aston Martin's great and yeah, like they lose certain elements from the other films but they do replace it and I I definitely wouldn't call it the ultimate Bond film anymore, but it does tick all those boxes in terms of what people think of in terms of James Bond. So with that in mind, I would definitely say it's still... I would put From Russia With Love above it. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I will keep From Russia With Love at number one. And the question I'm not too sure is, would I put Goldfinger over Dr. No? Because I... It's so tough. Like, Goldfinger has higher highs but lower lows, where Dr. No is just kind of more in the middle with some highs and and some lows. And I'm not too sure what I prefer. <laughs> like, you got, I you like got a... the laser scene more than anything in Dr. No, oh. but the Pussy Galore scene is worse than anything in Dr. No. you got to make up your mind, Tom. That's the whole point of this podcast. So I want to also ask, can we change our minds about rankings down the line? Oh, yeah. Oh, 100%. Oh, okay. So I think in terms of how I feel after finishing this episode, I'm going to pull it at number three, mm-hmm. below Dr. No. Yeah. Because mostly the pacing. Like, it's just the pacing. Like, when I got to the end of Dr. No, I was like, yeah, that was good. Yeah, I enjoyed that. And it's fast paced, and that makes it enjoyable. But this film is just slower and it's fast paced at the end, which I think gives you a more satisfying feeling, but it's kind of not enough. And and talking about it today with you has just made me quite angry at certain elements. <laughs> and I think for that reason, I'm, I'm pulling it at number three. Yeah. I, do you know what? I'm actually quite surprised by that. I really am. I, re- I did not think you'd put it at three. It's tricky. It is tricky. And it's why I asked about which you know can we kind of rearrange these as we go as our and things like that but for me like it's tough i could put it at number two and generally be happy with that i wouldn't be that annoyed if i did say number two but being pushed and having to make a decision damn me and this idea (laughs) 
<laughs> uh, I, I'm going to have to go free. I don't think I can put Goldfinger above Dr. No. I came away more positive from Dr. No. Even though, again, as much as we complained about Goldfinger, I still enjoyed it. So, I, yeah, it's difficult. It's a difficult one. Mm, you see, for me, I can't say the same. I, I'm glad that I watched it for this podcast and to remind myself and to kind of re-gauge my opinion on it. But I can't I, I can't say that I ended the film enjoying it. I don't think I enjoyed it. And I think for me, it's a lot clearer of a decision. Like this is definitely number three at the moment. I think obviously From Us With Love is, is still up there despite the ending, which I didn't love. But I think this is worse than Doctor No without a doubt. Um, and and I, I, do, I do feel a bit, as I said at the start of this podcast, I do feel a bit vindicated because I, I did think like this is meant to be the bond the bond film the bond of the bond films has everything in it people always talk about this why don't i like it there must be something i'm missing i watched it again and i don't think there is i actually just think i don't like it and i i think there's the things i don't like are kind of all are all there in front of me i don't really like the the car chases the 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 focus on all the cars in the first half the the gadgets with the db5 i don't like the, yeah, you mentioned the pussy galore, where that goes. I just think it's a kind of a waste of a character. Um, and I really don't like the the whole element that Guy Hamilton brought in. I'm, I'm blaming him. I can only assume it's it's related to him wanting to change the character. I don't like the decision of of making Bond kind of captured halfway through the film, as logical as it may be in the in terms of the plot. I just think as a filmmaking decision i didn't enjoy what that meant i didn't really think bond did enough in the film frankly i think it was very just going through the motions and watching things happening around him as you said pacing really bad i will say i've got to give it some some positives and i think can kind of mention before music the music i think by far is one of the best things about this i love the music and i love the score for it you know proper john barry uh in his in his prime and also Goldfinger himself, I think, is actually quite a good character. Maybe a little bit mishandled here and there. But but overall, I do like the character of Goldfinger. Um, so, yeah, for me, definitely, uh, definitely at number three. OK, well, there we go. I guess that means our list is still in sync for the time being. At the moment, yeah. But I would kind of say is that I think Goldfinger holds up higher for me than you in the long run because i still think the the good stuff is really good i, I think it's just a, an uneven film and it's just a bit conflicted and just isn't as strong overall as, as the other two or definitely not from russia with love but there's still i still took away positives from it so i think for me it will hold up higher uh, than than it will for yourself i think you're right although having said that the next one we are looking at is of course thunderball and i put that was it number four of my t- worst five? Yeah, it was in your worst. Yeah. So I don't know what's going to happen next time. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, will you like Thunderball more than Goldfinger? I think I might. Just saying that now, I think I might, which really is going to surprise me. Yeah, I, I barely remember it, so I guess we'll see. Yeah, I guess we will. So thank you very much for listening. You have been listening to episode three of the Bond Revisited podcast. The Bond Revisited podcast will return next week with Thunderball. Thunderball.